Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best Value Registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. When God spoke to us about something, you know, maybe I'm reading my Bible or I'm praying and the Lord would speak to me about something. I would just tell my kids about it in that moment. Mm, Oh, let me just tell you what what God just showed me this morning. And so that really helps them see that God is not just about religion. He's about a relationship with us in our everyday lives. And so um, just don't be shy about that. Talk to your kids about what God's teaching you and, and what he's showing you. And I think the Lord will use that in their lives. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about the messy, less than perfect, but real stuff of life. My name's Jill Savage, and I'll be your host. I'm so glad you're here. Are you parenting a rebellious teenager? Feeling overwhelmed with the challenges you face every day? Not sure what's the best way to lead and respond? If so, today's episode is for you. My guest is Ginger Hubbard, and she's the best-selling author of Don't Make Me Count to Three, Wise Words for Moms, and I can't believe you just said that. Ginger speaks at women's events, parenting conferences, and homeschool conventions across the country. She also co-hosts the Parenting with Ginger Hubbard podcast. In today's episode, we're going to get to hear Ginger's personal story about how God drastically changed her heart as a rebellious teenager. And we'll also learn more about how parents can reach the hearts of their teenagers, no matter how far they've strayed away. So I want to welcome you to the No More Perfect podcast, Ginger. Thank you, Jill. It's an honor to be on with you. Really excited to get to talk with you and uh, hopefully to encourage some of your listeners. Yes, absolutely. You know, Ginger, I know you as an adult. And honestly, I have trouble reconciling the kind, generous, wise woman that you are today with the thought of you being rebellious in your teen years. (laughs) Well, if only you had known me then. (laughs) But thank you, Jill. You know, I love to share my story because it is a testimony of the redemption of Christ, of what he can do in our lives and how he can change us for the good. Uh, But I think what's so amazing about my story is that it can be anyone's story, no matter what their circumstances are, because Jesus offers his redemption and his mercy and his grace to anyone who puts their hope and trust in him. Mm, So true. Yeah. So before we jump into your story and look back, give us a little context today. Tell us about your family. Where do you live? And just kind of help us to get to know you a little better. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, I live obviously in the South, in case you haven't noticed already. (laughs) No, I didn't notice at all. (laughs) I cannot hide my Southern. I've tried. It just doesn't work. 
So I just gave up on that. But born and raised in Alabama. We live in Opelika, Alabama, and I am married to Ronnie Hubbard of 10 years now. And between the two of us, we have four kids. I had two, he had two. And so we're, you know, the uh, smaller version of the Brady Bunch. And all of our kids are in their 20s. So we're pretty much done with the parenting years and into the just getting to enjoy them years. Mm-hmm. Not that we don't always enjoy our kids, but you know what I mean. It's, it, when they're adults, it's just a different, a different kind of enjoyment. It is. You are so very right. Yeah. Well, let's go back and let's talk about your story as a young woman, particularly in the teen years. So I believe I understand that you did not grow up in a Christian family. Is that correct? That is correct. My parents actually didn't come to know Jesus until they were in their early 40s. And so I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I did grow up in a very loving home. And Mm -hmm. I had a daddy who wanted to give me everything. And so he pretty much gave me everything. (laughs) Just to give you an idea, uh, by the time I was 17 years old, I was on my third car, which was a fire red 300ZX with T-tops and an airbrush tag on the front that read spoiled rotten. And that I was. (laughs) Oh (laughs) my goodness. Wow. Wow. So yes, um, you really understand what it's like to have all of the material things, but Mm -hmm. still have an emptiness inside of you. That's right. And that is what I had to come to understand. And, And even my parents had to come to understand. And they came to understand that before I did, because I was actually 18 years old when my parents came to know the Lord. But even before that, my parents were very moral people who really lived a more conservative life than a lot of the church going people we knew. So as a family, we viewed Sundays as a day to sleep in and unwind and just do whatever we wanted to do rather than a day set apart for worshiping God. And I know this sounds horrible, but we pretty much viewed people who chose to attend church on Sundays at worst as hypocrites or at best as people who just needed to feel better about themselves. Now, just a little bit of background as far as where we were, I guess, from a Christian standpoint. For me personally, I did believe in God because God creating everything just made more sense to me than evolution. But as far as Mm -hmm. heaven and hell and where people would spend eternity, I just figured if I lived a reasonably good life and was good to people and didn't do anything really bad, that I would go to heaven. And that was pretty much the philosophy of my parents as well until someone explained to them that it really doesn't matter how good of a person you are because the only way to heaven is through Jesus. And so my parents asked Jesus to come into their life and and just be their Lord and Savior. And of course, as soon as they begin to know him, they begin to love him and they wanted nothing more than for me to know and love him too. But Jill, I didn't want to change the way I was living. And I sure as heck didn't want to spend my Sundays going to church. And so that is where my rebellion began. Mm. So they were wanting to lead you in a different direction. Um, they'd experienced the change themselves, but you were resistant to their That's leadership. Right. And, you know, it was hard on them because all of a sudden they know this God who is transforming their lives for the better. And now they have a daughter who is not wanting to share in that faith. But see, I didn't have the Holy Spirit like they did. So 
I didn't understand uh, the things that they understood. And because I didn't grow up in church, I knew nothing about God or the Bible. I just thought that religion was religion. And I had no idea that there was a difference in being a religious person and actually having a personal relationship with Jesus. And I just thought my parents had completely gone off their rocker and gotten mixed up in some kind of a cult because it was just so foreign to me. And it's funny, I can actually remember praying to a God I did not know to please get my parents out of the cult. (laughs) But thankfully, God didn't answer my prayers the way that I wanted him to, because I began to see uh, just really drastic changes in my parents. And most of them were changes that I did not like. You see, as a teenager with a pocket full of money and plenty of freedom, I didn't appreciate the new family rules that came along with their Christianity, like having to attend church and Sunday school every Sunday. And I didn't like that all of a sudden I had to answer all of my parents' ridiculous questions. Uh, You know, those ridiculous questions that that parents ask their teenagers, Jill, like, where are you going and who are you going with? Those kind of ridiculous (laughs) questions. And so I just completely rebelled against their authority. Mm, Wow. That must have been really hard for them because they were relatively young in the faith. Mm -hmm. So this was a new journey for them. And for the first time, you know, I like to liken that when we accept Jesus. So when we accept him as our savior and then our Lord, our Lord is like, we move out of the driver's seat of our life and we put Jesus in the driver's seat. God is now leading us. He's calling the shots. He's telling us how to operate differently, but there's a learning curve to that. So I can only imagine that this was a lot for your parents to handle when they were still on such a steep learning curve of letting God lead right. their lives. It was because they so desperately wanted me to know this God that they knew. And no matter what they said and what rules they laid down, they just couldn't force me to do that. You know, and that's the thing is you can't force someone to know God, but you can encourage them to know God. And so, but at this point in my life, that wasn't working and that was hard on all of us. Right, right. So how did your parents respond to you rebelling against their authority initially? Well, when I began, uh, this is, I love this story. I remember it like it was yesterday. When I really began to resist their authority, my daddy came into my bedroom one night and he knelt beside my bed and I will never forget what he said. He took my hands in his and with tears just streaming down his face, he said, little girl, that's what he called me, little girl, (laughs) never call me ginger, always call me little girl. He said, I need to ask your forgiveness. He said, I have been a failure as a father because I've tried to win your love by giving you everything you ever wanted, but I've left out the most important thing, and that's Jesus Christ. And it was such a defining moment in my life, and I will never forget it. Uh, One reason being because in all my years, I had never seen my daddy cry. And to be honest with you, I didn't like seeing him cry. And I didn't like the God who was making my daddy feel like a failure. And so I wrapped my arms around him and I assured him that he had not been a failure, but that he had been the best daddy in the world. And so as my parents developed a closer relationship with the Lord, they found this verse in the Bible that they sort of adopted as our family theme. And it was Joshua twenty four fifteen, which says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And they had no intentions of compromising their newfound faith in God. And so, you know, again, they wanted me to share in that faith. So they began to tighten the reins. 
they knew the kind of life I was living. They knew that I was involved in underage and irresponsible drinking. And they had found evidence of what my boyfriend and I had been up to. And, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people think that teenagers rebel and make bad choices because of peer pressure. And, you know, I'm sure with a lot of them, probably with most of them, that's probably the case. But I can tell you with me, Mm -hmm. that was not the case. I was the peer pressure. I did exactly what I wanted to do. And I had a way of talking everybody else into doing what I wanted to do. (laughs) I was always the ring leader and the life of the party. But anyway, back to my parents. They knew that I was living a life that was headed for destruction. And they just could not convince me to surrender my life to Jesus. And so all they could do was try and protect me from these things that they knew that I was doing that was leading to destruction. And the way that they did that was by laying down rules. And when I didn't comply with these new family rules for the first time in my life, because remember, I was very spoiled for the first time in my life, my daddy enforced consequences and he took away my freedom Mm -hmm. and he took away my car. And suddenly He wasn't the best daddy in the world anymore. (laughs) And I didn't like what was happening in our family. And so I actually left home my senior year of high school. Whoa, you left home. Where where did you go I moved in with my best friend and her mom and sister. And it's just because I thought my parents' new way of living and thinking was just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, My daddy likes to tell a story of when I was little and how he said I must have asked him a hundred questions a day, a very inquisitive child. And he said that one day I was riding in his truck with him and pointing to everything inside and saying, Daddy, what's that? What's that? And he said he was so worn out with my questions that after about the hundred and tenth one, he said, little girl. I don't know. And he said, I looked at him all wide eyed and slapped him on the shoulder and said, oh, daddy, you know everything. He said, then when I became a teenager, I looked at him and said, "Uh, you don't know anything. (laughs) So (laughs) isn't that the case usually? So yeah, I moved out at 18 years old and got a job. And I will say I did keep in touch with my parents and they just continued to encourage me and to be, to try to get me to be just, begin a relationship with Jesus by just talking to him and, and reading the Bible, but I just kept resisting. And I think it what, it what it pulled down to is I did not want to give up the things in my life that I thought were bringing me happiness. And I certainly didn't want to follow a bunch of do's and don'ts and thou shalt not. And Jill, that's what I thought Christianity was all about. You know, like I said, I thought it was nothing than, mm. more than a, a really a cult, a sort of bondage to legalistic rules. But what I didn't realize is that bondage is when we habitually indulge in activities and thoughts and lifestyles that promise these great satisfactions, but wind up only delivering shallow pleasures that quickly lead to depression and guilt and regret. But the more I indulged in the things that I thought would bring happiness, the more unhappy and empty I felt. And, you know, now as a more mature mm-hmm. Christian, I realize that that is the ultimate lie. Sin always promises what it can never deliver. Romans six twenty three says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so what teenagers and even adults who are searching for satisfaction mm-hmm. in all the wrong places don't realize, and what I didn't realize at the time is that sin is enslaving, not satisfying. 
John 8, 34 says, I mm-hmm. tell you the truth. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. But the good news is that Jesus has paved the way to freedom. And I love two verses down in verse 36, what we're told. It says, if the son sets you free, then you are free indeed. And so what I found is that true freedom is found in loving and obeying and serving our Lord Jesus Christ. But like many people, I didn't understand that at first. And so I rebelled. Right, right. Uh, I love that your parents maintained communication with you. I think sometimes when our kids don't live out the life that we want them to, I think sometimes, you know, the tendency is to kind of mm-hmm. cut off that relationship, especially in some Christian mm-hmm. circles. And so I love that they they continue to, to have a relationship yes. with you. Yep. Yeah. You know, as a matter of fact, I just have to throw this in. But just last week, I was grieving with a family who lost their 27-year-old daughter. She was what they considered to be rebelling, and they completely cut her out of their lives. And it had been a year that they had basically shunned her, and she died last week. And it, it was absolutely devastating. And so, you know, all that to say that, you know, parents shouldn't compromise when their kids are obviously doing things that they shouldn't be doing. But what heartache, you know, to completely shut them out of your life. You can't witness to them and encourage them in the Lord and let them see what God's doing in your life if you completely shut them out of your life. Yes, yes, exactly. So obviously, at some point, God began to soften your heart and draw you into a a relationship with Jesus. So at what point did you start to consider this? Well, one thing that I can say for certain is that one of the ways that God softened my heart was through my parents' unwavering love for Jesus and their commitment to Him. You see, I knew that my parents loved me, but I had watched them for three months put their love for Jesus above their desire to appease me. And because of that, I knew that he was real. And I knew that his love had to be more powerful than any love that I had ever known. And, you know, that's one reason why walking with Jesus and not compromising in our commitment to him is so powerful is because it shows other people how real he is. And so God used my parents' obedience to to him to ultimately convict my heart. And, you know, Jill, I think that's crucial for us as parents to understand. Our kids, especially our teens, won't respect our willingness to compromise our faith to appease them or to avoid conflict. And so I'm so thankful for my parents and the way that they ask God for wisdom And I'm so thankful for how they were obedient to act on that wisdom, which let me tell you, it was a really hard thing for for them to do. Because during that time that I'd left home as a high school student, my parents really struggled with letting me come back home and just living however I wanted to live because they miss me. We had always been a super close family. Mm -hmm. Even before my parents became Christians, we were super, super close. So the separation was really hard on all of us. And because it was so hard on them, especially with me still being in high school, there were so many times that they were tempted to pick up the phone and compromise and say, all right, you don't have to obey our rules. You can live however you want to live. We won't say one word. We just want you to come back home. But instead, they remained faithful to stand on the truth of God's word and to put their trust in him to do a work in my heart. Mm, Yes. And God was doing work in your heart. 
So at what point did you actually give your heart? Well, I had been gone for left home for about three months and it was after midnight and my parents were emotionally exhausted and beyond discouraged to the point that they were just about to break down and call me and tell me that I could live however I wanted to live. They just wanted me to come back home. But instead, they did what they always did, and they got down on their knees in the living room, and they cried out to God, and they prayed about this new verse that they had found in the Bible, and it was 1 Corinthians ten thirteen that talks about God being faithful when we're tempted, and that verse says, I will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, and in their pain, they were just honest with God, and they told him that it just really seemed like more than they could bear. But at the same time, they wanted to trust him and they wanted to follow his lead. And so they asked for his wisdom again. And as they prayed for God's strength, they said that this total peace washed over them. And it was at that very moment that I came charging through the front door, a broken person (gasps) who needed hope and healing, a person who two weeks earlier had walked into an abortion clinic and bought into one of the biggest lies of all time. And I remember so well that night when I went home and how God softened my heart. I was actually already asleep and I really wasn't even consider going back home. It wasn't even on my radar. And I just all of a sudden out of nowhere woke up feeling so depressed and so empty and so hopeless. I absolutely hated myself and I was miserable with with guilt over the choices Mm. that I had made, especially the abortion. And let me just say that at the time on the on the topic of the abortion that I, I really didn't understand why it was wrong because I, I didn't know anything about God or the Bible. I'd never heard of the sanctity of life. And the counselors at the clinic had assured me that it was not a baby at all. They said that it was just a blob of tissue. But Jill, as soon as I left the clinic, I knew in my heart that was not true. And I knew that I had just made the worst and the most selfish decision and that I would regret it for the rest of my life. And I just want to say it did not bring relief like they told me that it would at the clinic. In fact, it brought on the opposite of what they promised. It brought on a suffocating and consuming bondage of guilt and shame. So so back to that mm-hmm. night that God softened my heart, I just woke up you know, out of nowhere and I started thinking about my parents and about the peace and the joy that they had found in Jesus. And it was a peace and joy that I wanted. So when I woke up that night, it just hit me out of nowhere, like a ton of bricks. And I thought, why am I running from this? And so I called my boyfriend and he gave me a ride home because I still didn't have a car. And like I said, it was after midnight. But even though it was so late, his mom was thrilled to let him come get me and take me home because she was one of the many Christians who had been praying for me to go back home. And so when when I got home and I walked into the living room where my parents had just been crying out to God, I said, I'll follow your rules and I'll do whatever you say, because I want what you've got. And I said, I want to know Jesus, but I just don't know how. And words cannot express how freeing it was that night as I prayed with my parents and surrendered my life to Jesus. It felt so good because what I'd been experiencing before wasn't freedom. It was bondage and it was miserable. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. You know, as you were sharing that part of your story, there's an old song that I remember, and I think the title is You're the Only Jesus Some Mm, Will Ever See. And man, I just see that living out in this Mm, story. 
is your parents were the Jesus you were seeing. I mean, you were getting to know him through them and just through their actions, probably more their actions than even mm-hmm. their words. You saw it. You saw the peace that they were living out, that they were experiencing. And that's so very powerful. I, you know, it reminds me also of, I don't even remember who said it, and maybe you do, preach. And if necessary, use <laughs> yeah, words. That's good. That's good. Oh, let me, I just thought of one. If I could say it, it's a tongue twister. But uh, one of my closest friends used to tell me all the time, she would say, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks more than your talk talks. That's a good one. I Ooh. said it too. Peter Piper. <laughs> you did. And you didn't even get it. <laughs> That's great. Wow. Powerful. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So, I mean, so many themes here. It's your parents' steadfastness, their perseverance, the theme of prayer, you know, and them taking their temptation to prayer first. And then the power of prayer also changing things in in the world that we can't see and that it was working in your heart. And wow. That's so very, very powerful. You know, your story is so filled with the grace and mercy of God. So I'm curious, once your eyes were opened, once you said yes, how did your life change? Well, the more I read my Bible and prayed, the hungrier I became to know Jesus more. And the more I knew him, the more I loved him and the more I wanted to serve him and the more I wanted to tell other people about him. So I really wanted to shine his light into the lives of others the same way that he had used my parents to shine his light into my life. And I knew that I needed the encouragement of some Christian friends to help me do that. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And so when I went home that night in the middle of the night, it was actually over a weekend. And I knew that come Monday morning at school that I was going to have a choice. I could either act as if nothing had happened and jump right back in with my friends, all of whom I loved so much, and just go back to my old lifestyle. Or I could take a stand for Jesus and risk my friends not understanding and turning away from me. And, you know, Jill, you remember how important friends are at that age. I mean, in high school, my friends had been my life for many years, and I was afraid of how they were going to respond to my new commitment to God. But at the same time, I cared too much about them to let my fear keep me from telling them and living out the good news of Jesus. I so wanted them to understand and know the joy and the peace and the freedom that I had found. And so I chose to take a stand. And I will never forget that moment in my life. It was in the Auburn High School cafeteria. (laughs) I was actually late getting into the lunchroom and all my friends were already there. And I had just gotten my tray of food and I looked over to where my friends were sitting and I saw that they were all, you know, cutting up and laughing. And I knew they were probably talking about the unwholesome things that went on over the weekend and probably planning the unwholesome things that would go on the next weekend. And there in the middle of all of my precious friends was one empty seat. And that is where I had always sat. That was where I was comfortable. And then I looked across the cafeteria to the other side and I saw what I had always referred to as the Jesus freak table or the holy roller table. And this is where all the Christians sat. 
And Jill, this is the group that I had openly ridiculed and made fun of for years. They always sat together and everybody knew that they were Christians because they always held hands and prayed before they ate. And as I looked over at that group, I noticed that there in the middle of them was one empty seat. And I knew what God wanted me to do. But I can't even begin to describe to you the battle that went on in my heart that day as I stood in the middle of that cafeteria holding my tray of food and trying to decide which path to take. It was such a pivotal moment in my life. I just stood there thinking, do I take the path back to my old life where I'm comfortable or do I take the path of God and take a stand for him? And I remember standing there, my whole body was just violently shaking and I was crying because it was so hard. But I finally walked over Mm -hmm. to the table where those Christians sat and I took my place in that empty seat. And I didn't know any of their names, Mm. uh, but I felt certain they knew mine. (laughs) To say that they looked shocked would be an understatement. And I was so upset that I couldn't even eat. And I just sat there and cried. And, And they sat there with me in this uncomfortable silence for what seemed like an eternity. And then finally, one of them spoke up and said, Ginger, can I ask why you decided to come and sit with us today? And Jill, he actually looked a little afraid of what I might say. And I just explained <laughs> that I wanted to know Jesus better and that I needed to be around people that could show me how to do that. And right there at that mm. table in the Auburn High School cafeteria, they all took turns praying for me that I would find strength in my new relationship with Jesus. Mm. And you know, but we, you and I mentioned this just a, a couple of minutes ago. This isn't to say, that we should have nothing to do with non-Christian friends. Whether we're Uh -uh. 18 or 80, we can't lead them to Christ if we shut them out of our lives. But at the same time, we shouldn't blend in with our lifestyles either. I think the best thing that we're called to do is to draw strength from Christ-centered friendships, ones where we spur one another on toward love and good deeds, and then let the overflow of that encouragement pour out into the lives of our friends who are lost. If we want Christ to rescue them from darkness, then we have to shine his light into their worlds. But we can only do that by being different, by being set apart, by being by making that decision to live a life surrendered to Jesus. Well, and, you know, you were I mean, you were such a baby in the faith. And so you you had so much growth that needed to happen. So I'm sure that that, I mean, the decision there was to place yourself in a place where you could grow and learn and understand. Right. And ultimately that would equip you Mm -hmm. to still have relationship with your friends and be able to be the influencer there. Exactly. And that's exactly what it did. Mm -hmm. Yes. So looking back at how your parents responded to your rebellion, what are you the most thankful for as far as the way that they handled it? I'm so thankful that my parents just kept talking to me about Jesus and the difference that he was making in their lives during my rebellion. Because you see, even though I didn't want to hear it, they kept telling me about the scriptures that God was speaking to them through and about the freedom and the joy that they had found in Jesus and how it was just so much better than those shallow and fleeting satisfactions of the world that they were experiencing before. And even though I didn't believe as they did, they just remained faithful in sharing their daily testimony of who Jesus is and what he was doing in their lives and what he's done for all of us. And Jesus used their testimonies to draw me to himself And, you know, I really think that as parents with rebellious teenagers, that's key. 
teens can argue when we try to force our own convictions on them, mm-hmm. but they can't argue with our personal testimonies about who Jesus is to us and the difference he's making in our lives. Yes. And so my parents didn't back up, let up or shut up <laughs> about their love for Jesus and about what he meant to them personally. And because of that, I came to know him personally. Mm, yes. And I love what you're saying because they were, they weren't preaching to you. They were sharing the transformation. They were sharing what they were learning. They were sharing what they were experiencing in their own personal life. And that I'm sure to some degree to an 18 year old, it, it's, you know, to some degree felt preachy, but at the same time, it was, it really wasn't. And like you said, you can't argue with what their experience is. And right. so I, I love that. So what do you think is one of the most important things that parents can do to help their teens listen? to them? Um, Well, to parents with rebellious teenagers, even parents with young children who've either not yet accepted Christ or are still really young in their faith, I think that what I would like to encourage them to do is to speak up about who Jesus is to you and what he's done in your life and pray that he would use your passion and your love for Jesus to win their hearts. And, you know, that's what the scriptures say. It tells us to talk about the life-giving truths of his word as we sit at home, as we walk along the road, as we lie down and as we get up. So it doesn't need to be these long lecture sermons with a bunch of, you know, thou shalt and thou shalt not. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. And so I think that's the most powerful way that we can witness to people and encourage people is just talking about what Jesus has done for us and who he is and just really showering people with the love of Christ and encouraging them to know him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, and I also want to encourage your listeners that no matter where they're starting, you know, whether it's with a rebellious teen or a young and impressionable child, I want to remind them. Because there could be some really hurting parents out there right now listening to this. But I want to remind them that God's word does not return void, Mm -hmm. which means his word will accomplish what he set it out to do. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, really that strategy is it applies to us as parents, but it applies to friendships. You know, we may have a friend or a neighbor that doesn't know Jesus. And when we share what he's done in our life when we share our stories. It just makes it easier for people to listen. It, it makes it easier for them to receive that. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, Ginger, this has been so good. And it's been a bit of a unique podcast in that, you know, just really it's been unfolding your story. But what can we learn from that story? So I know that you have a brand new podcast, Parenting with Ginger Hubbard. Can you just Give our listeners a little bit of an idea of what they can expect if they listen into your podcast. Yes, I'm super excited about this. I think it's the thing that I've been the most excited about out of everything I've ever done is this podcast, but it's Parenting with Ginger Hubbard, and it's a weekly podcast that's going to air every Monday. Well, by the time you air this, Jill, it it will already be out. Yeah, it'll be out. So it's a weekly podcast where our primary goal is to encourage and equip parents to reach beyond outward behavior address the issues of the heart and 
point their children to the transformational power of Christ. And from a practical standpoint, we really want to help parents move past the frustrations of not knowing how to handle issues of disobedience and defiance and into a confident and well-balanced approach to raising their children. Mm, I love that. And that's what you do so well through your books, too. I know we had you as a speaker at Hearts at Home and loved what you brought to our moms there. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. And where else can people find you? on online? Well, my website is a great place to connect, gingerhubbard.com. And of course, we'll be, if they sign up, uh, subscribe, they'll get a reminder as to when we have new podcasts coming out. We're going to be doing all kinds of stuff like how to handle whining, tattling, disobeying, throwing temper tantrums, just all kinds of really practical advice on there. So they can find out about the new episodes at my website, gingerhubbard.com. My books, I can't believe you just said that. Don't make me count to three. My wise words for mom's chart. All that information is on my website as well. And then I love to connect with people on Instagram. It's ginger.hubbard. And on Facebook, it is official ginger hubbard. I'm more of an Instagram person, but you know, if you don't do Instagram, I am on Facebook too. Gotcha. All right. Well, as we come to a close, can you leave us with one final word of encouragement? Yes. I'm just hoping that your listeners out there are not discouraged in any way. And there's so many different ways to handle rebellious teens. And this is just the way that my parents handled it. So I hope you're not listening thinking, oh, I've already messed up. I've already blown it. You know, maybe you heard something that you liked the way that my parents handled it. Well, just be excited that the Lord allowed you to hear that and know that it was God's timing for you to hear that and and He's sovereign. And so I just, again, want to encourage those parents to really take time to talk about Jesus. You know, don't just take your kids to church. Really talk about what He's doing in your life. And, you know, honestly, we didn't do, we didn't sit down and do family devotionals. I know that that's such a big thing. And, you know, my hat's off to folks who, who that works, but it just didn't work in our family. We found that it was way more I don't know, practical and effective with our kids anyway, when God spoke to us about something, you know, maybe I'm reading my Bible or I'm praying and the Lord would speak to me about something. I would just tell my kids about it in that moment. Mm, oh, let me just tell you what, what God just showed me this morning. And so that really helps them see that God is not just about religion. He's about a relationship with us in our everyday lives. And so um, just don't be shy about that. Talk to your kids about what God's teaching you and, and what he's showing you. And I think the Lord will use that in their lives. Oh, I love that. And, you know, because it is possible that our listeners are listening and some have rebellious teens, would you close in prayer and just pray for them? Yes. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we just thank you, Lord, for the truths of your word. We thank you that when we don't know you, that you do knock on the door of our hearts. And so we just pray for all the kids out there, whether younger or teenagers or even adult kids, Lord, that that don't know you and might be rebelling against you, Lord, that you would just soften their hearts and that you would mm-hmm. speak to them, Lord, whether it's bringing their parents into their lives to talk to them about you or, or friends or maybe a podcast that they tune into. We just pray, Lord, that you would uh, just bring about whatever means you need to, to put the truths in front of them, Lord, and that you would soften their hearts, that they would see you for who you are, Lord, that you are such a loving, gracious, almighty, awesome God, Lord, that who would not want to know you? And so whatever is hindering these kids and teens from knowing you, that you would just remove those obstacles, Lord, and then break through those chains and touch their hearts and that they would surrender their lives to you. And Lord, that you would be glorified through that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future conversations. You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over at jillsavage.org slash podcast. See you next week for another not perfect, but very important conversation about the real stuff of life.